I'm Brandy, and I am not an elder here. <laughs> okay, bad joke. Everyone always announces themselves. I'm like, I don't know, I'm a person. So I am working on a biblical studies degree, so that's something. And do you want to know something that I think is weird about the Bible? At least one thing? Yeah, maybe. The Bible only includes three stories about the childhood of Jesus. Three. Savior of the world. Three childhood stories. <laughs> that seems like, you know, not sufficient. But I suppose this shouldn't be a surprise because none of the gospels were written by moms. Because if it was Mary, there would be no end. It'd be first words, mispronounced words, awkward quotes, because kids say the funniest things, and pictures. I don't know how ancient Israel, but she would have found a way because moms. With so little recorded about Jesus's childhood, the stories we do have must be important. But it would be so easy to gloss over them, especially tonight, the text we're reading. It's short and seemingly unremarkable, but don't be fooled. These stories act as an overture to the rest of Jesus's ministry and the rest of his life, a preview of what is to come. Have you ever taken time to ponder them? Let me do a brief recap of the other two stories and drink some water. Sorry, I'm putting it on your computer. <laughs> During Advent, Trevor talked about baby Jesus being blessed at the temple by old man Simeon who recognized Jesus as the savior of all people. Last week, Phil talked about the Magi visiting toddler Jesus and bestowing gifts that definitely were not on Mary's registry, but were fit for royalty. They knew that Jesus was the new king of the Jews. So tonight we have 12 year old Jesus. And I don't know about you all, but 12 was rough on me. So um, yes, this is my awkward childhood photo mostly to appreciate that calic and those glasses that are cool again, but were not cool then. <laughs> I wouldn't really want stories from this part of my life preserved for all time. So I'm just gonna throw that out there. And it's a good thing that Mary did not find a way to include awkward tween Jesus photos. Well, not lucky for us, but lucky for Jesus. So tonight we're gonna to turn to Luke chapter two. This story is where the only words spoken by young Jesus are. And I think this story was passed along by Mary because who else could have told it? And I'd like to think that she passed it on to the disciples so that they could learn that Jesus cannot be contained by our expectations. You can read along on the screens or just listen, starting in verse 41. Every year, Jesus's parents traveled to Jerusalem for the feast of Passover. 
When he was 12, they went up as they always did for the feast. When it was over and they left for home, the child Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents didn't know it. Thinking he was somewhere in the company of pilgrims, they journeyed for a whole day. And that night, they began looking for him among relatives and neighbors. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem looking for him. The next day, they found him in the temple, seated among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. The teachers were all quite taken with him, impressed with the sharpness of his answers. But his parents were not impressed. They were upset and hurt. His mother said, Young man, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been half out of our minds looking for you. He said, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? But they had no idea what he was talking about. So he went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them. His mother held these things dearly deep within herself. And Jesus matured, growing up in both body and spirit, blessed by both God and people. So in our story, we have Mary and Joseph, like thousands and thousands of devout followers of God's law on pilgrimage to the Passover festival in Jerusalem. Even though Mary and Joseph are poor and women are not required to travel, they all went together. And this time Jesus was included, even though he was still a child, according to Jewish law, he was not required to travel until he turned 13. So this was probably his first pilgrimage. At the end of the week, Mary and Joseph start the four to five day walk back home. Nazareth, and they don't know that their child is missing. The larger the group, the safer the travel, and often men and women would split into separate caravans. So it would be very easy to assume that Jesus was somewhere in the mix. We've all seen Home Alone. The McAllisters only had 15 people in their caravan. I had to check because I couldn't remember. But Kevin manages to get left behind twice. So this is a classic, I thought he was with you, parenting fail. By the time they realize that Jesus is not with them, they've walked an entire day's journey. For safety, they would wait until first light the next day to reverse that whole journey back to Jerusalem. I can imagine the hours of sleep Mary and Joseph did not get. How many of you have ever lost one of your kids or a kid in your care? Yeah, yeah. I've been around some of those times at the old building. Um, that feeling is terrible. I lost sight of my youngest daughter, Allie. She was about two. I'd taken her to the library and I simply picked up a book and put it back on the shelf. And when I looked up, she's gone. So when I found her, she had left the kids area completely 
and she had toddled her way to the top of the main library stairs. <laughs> I felt panicked for a couple of minutes at most. Mary and Joseph had days to worry. Even when they get to Jerusalem, they still had to find him. The last place they look was the temple. But look at these photos of the temple. I didn't really know what it looked like. It's massive. So even finding Jesus in the temple among all those people is amazing. And part of me wonders if they had actually given up hope of finding him. And maybe they stopped there to pray before they went back home again. Somehow they stumble upon Jesus sitting among the Jewish teachers and he's engaged in deep theological study. Certainly not the place one expects to find a 12-year-old boy. Verse 46 tells us he's listening and asking questions. So he's not actually teaching, but the teachers were still amazed by his answers and his wisdom. Their minds are blown. This is a sneak peek of Jesus's future teaching. Throughout his entire ministry, people will be amazed and astonished because they have low expectations of a poor man raised in Nazareth. So back to our worried parents, Mary, who could finally breathe for the first time in days. How could you do this to us? Your father and I have been out of our minds with worry. She's mad and confused. And Jesus is confused by her confusion. He responds with two questions to answer her one question, classic Jesus. First he asks, why were you looking for me? That is a teenage response if I have ever read one. <laughs> I would know I have a teenager. Just kidding, I love you, Raina. But actually, I think what he meant by these words, why were you so worried? Don't you trust God's promises? Second, he asks, didn't you know that I had to be here dealing with the things of my father? Some translations read, to be in my father's house. This is the first time Jesus claims his relationship, God as his father, he as God's son, in the presence of other people. Could this trip to Jerusalem have been the first time Jesus as a human fully understood his unique relationship with the Father? This is a divine revelation. In the Bible, a revelation is any time a spiritual truth that has been hidden is made known. But still, Mary and Joseph had no idea what he was talking about. I don't know what that makes you think, but I think, how could you not know <laughs> what he meant by that? Maybe they heard father, and in their minds, they went to Jesus's earthly father, 
stepdad Joe, who's a carpenter, not a theological religious scholar, maybe? Or did they just forget the whole angels prophesying, Holy Spirit hovering, birth, virgin birth in a stable thing? Maybe. Had those glimpses of glory at his birth faded into the monotony of life over the past decade? But maybe they had been holding on to a more tangible expectation of Jesus's future that prevented them from understanding what he was saying to them now. They had been told that Jesus would be the salvation of Israel, but their version was likely a very different kind of savior. So let's review what they had been told about Jesus. He would be a son, a savior, a light to all people, the glory of Israel, freer of Jerusalem, a king like David, son of the most high God, which is actually a title ascribed to Caesar Augustus, Rome's first emperor, and one whose kingdom will never end. So if you take away our hindsight, this does not spell out Jesus as an underpaid teacher. It makes perfect sense that Mary and Joseph imagined a beautiful future for Jesus as an earthly king. So finding Jesus in the temple among teachers of the Torah did not add up for them. But Jesus, growing in spirit, had come to Jerusalem and experienced this new communal worship and conversations full of God's word. And we don't know, and we have no way of knowing, what amount of self-knowledge Jesus had. But as fully human, it makes sense to me that it increased with his age, just like ours does. Because by setting aside his divinity, and with that, his perfect knowledge, He chose to become fully human in every way. So I imagine young Jesus entering the temple for the first time and feeling the spirit within him stirring. The increased presence of the spirit in our lives leads us to deeper sensitivity to spiritual things. As Jesus gained more clarity, he would know God's will, a.k.a. his own will, would have the first claim on his priorities. Luke goes on to say, Jesus returned home and was obedient to his parents as he grew in spirit and wisdom. This in and of itself is something to ponder because Jesus, light of the world, lived in submission to his parents, who he created, so long as it didn't conflict with the Father's will. This story revealed the way Mary and Joseph's expectations actually worked to limit their ability to see and know God. They looked at Jesus and they saw their little boy. 
And why wouldn't they? They had been present with him in a million ordinary moments leading up to this moment. Their instinct was to protect him, but it also blinded them to God himself standing before them. It was her son who Mary was scolding, but it was the son who responded to her. Perhaps Jesus wanted to relieve them of their expectations that they were his sole protectors. They would need to learn to trust that it was God who carried that burden. So even Jesus's parents had beliefs and assumptions that they had to set aside as they grew in their own faith. So it makes sense that we do too. What expectations or limitations have we placed on Jesus? And how are they getting in the way of seeing him fully? God cannot be contained by our expectations. God is in the business of astounding people. So the hardest part is for us to realize and become aware of this burden of false expectations that we have tried to place on God. In 1 Corinthians 13, homeboy Paul gets it and he offers us encouragement. We don't yet see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog peering through a mist, but it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. We'll see it all then, see it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. That full knowing of God is not now, but God wants to be known. Are you missing Jesus in your midst because you only see him as someone from centuries ago? Are you missing the ways that the order and beauty of our natural world declare a creator because you've been taught that faith and science don't mix? Are you angry and skeptical of God's goodness because of the pain you have experienced or watched in the lives of people you love? Are you missing knowing God's tender, feminine, nurturing self because the only image you've been taught to see is that of a father? Are you missing out on Jesus's empathetic brotherhood because God is too holy, too distant, too apathetic. I don't know what it is for you. I think most recently, I struggled to see Jesus as personal. I can read and dig and collect information from the Bible all day, or as my son would say, all night, all day. I can ponder and wrestle with the mysteries of God's transcendence but my desire to learn about God can limit my ability to be with God. I would love for Jesus to set me straight. 
Jesus was the very image of God. So anything we think about God should be revealed through him and in his life. As Father Richard Rohr, priest and theologian points out, you have to trust the messenger before you can trust the message. As we go this week, I wanna challenge you to make space and consider what about God are you not seeing clearly? What expectations are getting in the way? And invite the Holy Spirit who is within you to reveal truth about God to you. May her hovering and stirring shine light on the truths of God that you need to hear most because we can't know him in his fullness now, but that means we spend our whole lives growing. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the life of Jesus. Thank you for the stories that we can ponder and the truth that you reveal through them. Thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you for the spirit. Thank you that you want to be known. You want us to know you. You want us to seek you. And I trust that as we do that, you want to reveal parts of yourself that we have not seen clearly. Pray that we'll be a church that constantly seeks to clarify the way we see and understand you so that we can be your image bearers. We love you so much. Amen.